Amen. Y'all ready for God's word today? I'm ready. So let's pray. Father God, we embrace the word of God as words of life. You tell us that your word is living and active and powerful and sharper than a double-edged sword. And today we accept the work of the word in our lives, in our minds, in our hearts. We embrace it. We thank you today that it has power to affect change in our thinking as well as in our behavior. So we embrace it. We claim the anointing of the Holy Spirit to make it effective. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Today I want to speak to you on the subject of making converts or disciples. Making converts or disciples. What if I told you this morning that Jesus did not want us to win converts? Would you be shocked? Would you be surprised? What if I said that in all of the scripture we are never ever told to convert anyone to Christianity? Would that also surprise you? What if I proposed that people accepting Jesus into their life doesn't completely fulfill our mission? We may share the gospel. That's important. But frankly, the gospel we share today may not always be the same gospel that Jesus shared. In fact, our version may be a little softer. A little easier, more diluted and watered down to make it more palatable with the culture that we live in. Maybe many of us simply don't want to be called radicals because the gospel that Jesus shared, the message that he shared was a radical message, calling people to literally lay down their lives and follow him to be revolutionaries for Jesus Christ. Many of us have taken the message of Jesus, but we omit some of the more intense parts. And even when we communicate it as a church and individually, we think, well, we don't want to give it too strong because it might just run people away. The truth of the matter is that the gospel has been diluted. So much so may I actually contend to you that I believe in many parts of the church of Jesus Christ globally, we actually have today a counterfeit gospel. It has been so changed and diluted that it has become counterfeited. And now, actually, people who have heard and bought into the diluted version of the real thing have now accepted the counterfeit gospel and are now immune to the real deal. Now they get exposed to the real gospel, which is basically Jesus died for you. Go all in for him. Now they go, oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I thought it was just as simple as believing. We need to reconsider our message. We need to reconsider our ministry. We need to reconsider what we have committed ourselves to. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the the German theologian and author and pastor, is known for saying this, Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. There is trust in God, but no true following of Jesus Christ. What does the word discipleship mean? 
Discipleship, noted here by Bonhoeffer, is the process of a new believer becoming like Jesus in every way. Discipleship is a journey. It's not a step, one step. It's not an initial decision. It isn't a box that we check off. But it is a lifelong process of maturing and becoming like Jesus Christ in every way. This morning, let me challenge you to reconsider the definitions between the idea of a convert, of someone who just makes an initial decision for Christ, and a true disciple. A disciple, by definition, is a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. A devoted, disciplined follower of Jesus Christ. Not someone who has simply said yes to an invitation. That's a disciple. A convert is someone who simply makes a decision to follow Christ. Now listen to me. All discipleship begins with someone making a decision. But that is simply the first initial step. And we must understand the difference between making converts and truly making disciples of Jesus Christ. The Bible underscores that this is the truth. Luke chapter 14 and verse 47, among other many passages in the Gospels that clarifies to us what true following Jesus involves, says this, and if anyone who does not carry his cross and follow, anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. The words of Jesus, what is he saying? He's saying the cross being an instrument of death. How inviting does that sound? An instrument of death. Someone has said, you might as well say, if you're not willing to pick up an electric chair every day in your life, dying to yourself and your preferences and your own values, and taking up a life of following Jesus Christ, Jesus said, you can't be my disciple. You see, there's a price to be paid. There's a cost of true discipleship. We all understand the scripture. In fact, I memorized it when I was six years old. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. It's commonly referred to as the Great Commission. It's the cornerstone, core cornerstone of biblical evangelical Christianity, isn't it? All of you, most of you in this room would know it. And Jesus simply said this at the end of his life, before he ascended to heaven, he speaks to his disciples and he speaks by projection to all disciples after that, including you and me. And he said what? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Notice it didn't say, now go and get decisions. It doesn't say, go and make converts to this religion. Instead, it says, go and what? Make disciples of all nations, of every people group, of every ethnos around the globe, you are responsible to go and make disciples of people, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and then I'll be with you to make sure you can pull it off. That, my friend, is the Great Commission. By the way, should I also note that it is not an option? 
It is not given as a, if you have time, you might want to consider making disciples. By the way, if it's convenient, you might want to consider making disciples of all nations. Think about it. Pray about it. None of the above. Jesus issues a command. Therefore, go and make disciples. We are under marching orders, friends. We are under a divine mandate to make disciples. Are we doing that? There's an inconvenient truth. The inconvenient truth is that out of our desire to make converts and add numbers, we've oftentimes tried to make Jesus more culturally acceptable. That's what our culture is all about. So watering and diluting the gospel is to reflect the culture. And that's an easy trap to fall into. We oftentimes want to make following Jesus comfortable and easy. We want to reduce the expectations. When instead, Jesus raised the expectations. Come and follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. You don't have to be, we often say to people, you don't have to do anything different. Just believe. Just believe. Here's a major problem. When you and I say believe, we interpret it in a contemporary way. The word believe to us means what? Intellectual agreement. And the New Testament word believe means something totally different. The New Testament word believe means to trust in, wholly depend upon, commit yourself to. Isn't that totally different than just an intellectual agreement? I'm convinced, and I'm, I'm, I'm sorrowful about it, but I'm convinced there are going to be people highly surprised when they die and they go to one place of eternity. And some will actually believe that they are going to live a life in heaven because they have intellectually accepted a historical Jesus. They have been duped. They have been mistaught. They have bought into a counterfeit gospel. And yet, they'll be shocked that instead, they'll spend a life abandoned from the presence of God. The inconvenient truth that Jesus doesn't just want to be a part of our lives. He wants to be your life. Paul said it well. He said to live, for me, to live is Christ. He summed up what life was to him. For me, to live is Christ. If you had to sum up your life in one word, how would you do it? For you to live is Could you do it? And would your answer be Christ? To live is Christ. The disciples, how did Jesus make them? They were so connected with him. They drank, they ate, they sweat, they slept. Life, exchanging life with Jesus from the day they met him till the day he died. Jesus wasn't just a part of their life. He was their life. Listen, Jesus is not looking for converts. He's looking for disciples. Converts, yes, are new believers, and we all begin the journey as a convert. But too often, we camp out right there. Our mission as Christians and as a local church is not to win converts. 
although that's included, but it is to make disciples. Let me tell you a story. Maybe some of you are familiar with these historical figures, but let me just remind you. The two pictures I have on the screen are two well-known 18th century evangelists, George Whitfield and John Wesley. Probably most of you have heard of John Wesley, but maybe not George Whitfield. George Whitfield was a flaming evangelist, well-known as a preacher and proclaimer of the gospel. He was passionate in urging people to come to Jesus Christ. He held open-air meetings and crusades all across Britain, and he preached the gospel endlessly. He was clearly the better preacher of the two. He won hundreds and thousands of people as converts to the gospel and to Jesus Christ in his day. These two men were contemporaries. You see the same hairdo. See? <laughs> then there was John Wesley. John Wesley actually learned some of his methodologies from George Whitfield. He said, preaching open air means, oh, that is a novel idea. I think I'll try some of that. And he actually had great regard and respect for Whitfield. But he approached things a little bit differently. John Wesley was a very organizationally minded person, and he decided that in addition to preaching and proclaiming the gospel, that he needed some kind of a systematic means to take new converts and disciple them in their growth as Christians. So he created what he called class meetings. Class meetings were simply groups of 12, 11 members, 11 disciples, and one leader, one discipler. And these groups would gather together on a weekly basis, and they would spend time talking with one another, praying with one another, comparing notes, and holding one another accountable, asking each other the hard questions. How's your prayer life this week? Did you study God's Word? What have you learned in your personal walk? Are you having struggles? How can we pray and minister to one another? And this system that Wesley created produced over the years hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of full-time ministers and missionaries that he raised up through his movement. His movement became known as Methodism. Today, Methodist churches of all different brands spread across the globe. Did you know when you compare the fruit of both and you look and say, what was left a hundred years after George Whitfield's evangelistic crusades, there is nothing permanent fruit that you can point to and say, that was the result of Whitfield's ministry. On the other hand, Wesley, there was much to show, not only that, but he became, his movement became a major reformer of culture in Britain and beyond in the 18th century. In many ways, clearly if you're comparing the fruit, you would say dynamically, in charisma, Whitfield would outpace him every day. But actual final harvest results and long-term sustainable fruit, Wesley wins the day. What can we learn from that? There are a number of things that we can learn and that we can apply. But first, let me share with you some data points. Two important ones to look at. and They're kind of both sides of the picture. Did you know that an average of 80 to 85% of new believers today 
will leave their church within 8 to 12 weeks of their conversion if they are not connected vitally to a church in some meaningful way. 80 to 85% in 8 to 12 weeks will leave the church and likely not follow up on their decision. On the other hand, new Christians, new believers who are connected to a local church through some form of discipleship within the first weeks of their conversion, it will be retained at a ratio of 70 to 80%. Showing us what? That the key to sustained fruit for people to not just make a quick decision or an initial conversion, but have ongoing maturity and discipleship is what? The church is a key. One of the greatest evangelists who's ever lived is Billy Graham. And yet the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association would admit today that if they have a regret of all the campaigns, all the crusades, including the television crusades that Billy Graham so incredibly and impactfully and accurately preached the gospel uncompromisingly, their greatest regret would be the inability to get a higher percentage of retention of new believers. Estimates are that probably only 30 to 35% of those who came forward during altar calls at crusades made public decisions for Christ were found in churches, found growing in their faith one year later. That's not a criticism against Billy Graham. It's a criticism of our churches. It's a criticism of our processes and the lack of some kind of biblically-based systematic approach to keeping people on the discipleship journey. Let me suggest some conclusions. Number one, we have a divine mandate. We're under marching orders to make disciples, as I've already illustrated. Number two, Many Christians and churches and ministries are not able and prepared to effectively ground believers in their faith. My experience, by the way, is that programmatic models simply aren't very effective. A programmatic model is a model where basically you have large classroom settings and hope that people who are new converts will just show up and follow the steps. Instead, a study of the life of Jesus shows us that he had a different method. Yes, he had a large crowd ministry. He had mass evangelism and mass teaching. But he also invested his life how? Relationally. One-on-one. Life to life. He spent 24 hours a day with his disciples With the goal of what? So affecting their life through his relationship that they'd be different forever. May I suggest to you that experience has taught churches and church leaderships and experts today that the most effective forms of ongoing discipleship are relationally based. They have to be based somewhere upon people, not just programs. Relational evangelism, relational discipleship is the best means of sustaining the harvest. Number three, making and multiplying disciples 
will guaranteed have an impact upon our world. Folks, if we want to make a true difference in our world, we must be committed to making and multiplying disciples. That is going to have the greatest effect upon our culture. Making and multiplying disciples will have a greater effect than any political movement on earth. It will affect our culture. It will affect our leaders. It will affect our nation. It will affect everything around us. Did you know that in the revival in Wales that took place uh, quite a number of years ago, a wonderful revival that took place, that things became so radical when God was pouring out His Spirit and people were coming to the Lord that they actually had to close down judicial court systems? There weren't enough criminals. Weren't enough criminals for the judges to listen to their cases. They had to close down bars and pubs right and left. Why? They went out of business. Do you know what changes things? Not protest, but making disciples will make the greatest change possible in our world. Number four. My conclusion is, we have adopted, and when I say we, I mean we as a local church. We have adopted a proven plan and process for discipleship to help every believer reach maturity. And to simplify it, basically, let me give it to you in two simple stages. First of all, we have what we call first steps. The book that I'm holding in my hand represents a workbook called First Steps One-on-One Discipleship that we've adopted a couple of years ago as the most effective way to give brand new believers and believers that need to be renewed in the basics a good starting point. It is a 10-week program. It's designed to be done relationally. So Ariano is the new disciple or a renewed disciple that wants to go through the 10 weeks. I'm the discipler. I've been trained using this workbook. Ari and I meet one time a week for 10 weeks. Every week we spend one hour together. And during that one hour, we talk about what's going on with his life, how he's growing in Christ, and we review his homework that he's done. Simple, fill in the blanks, read this scripture, fill in these blanks. But through the 10 weeks, not only has there been a good grasp of grounding material from the Word of God, But there's also a connection point with a mature believer. First steps is a proven tool. We feel that that is the best means to get someone started in their faith. After that, we add to that a group experience through our small group ministry called Journey Groups, where people grow in God's Word in the context of fellowship and community. And that, in addition to the other functions of a local church, provide every benefit possible to create a growth environment for people that are walking out their discipleship journey. We're all on this journey. If you're a believer, we're all on the journey. Some of us are on lap three. Some of us are on lap 300. Some of us are farther along than others. But it is a journey for all of us nonetheless. And you will be on that journey, hopefully, until you see Jesus face to face. 
And when Jesus takes you home, or when you see Jesus face to face, you have been walking, growing, maturing, being more and more like Jesus. And one day, when you see Jesus face to face, whatever's incomplete is going to be finished. I hope to not have too much undone. But how about you? Huh? I hope to make some pretty good progress while I'm on this earth. But too many Christians have simply say, oh, yes, I've checked off that box. I have my eternal fire insurance paid, and we're just hanging out having fun. There's more to being a disciple than that. Amen? And so first steps, then living life together, life to life, within small group ministry and in the local church is the way to ensure ongoing discipleship. The Word of God reminds us of this. Hebrews, let me just give you two scriptures very quickly, if I may. 1 Peter 2.2, 2, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that you may grow up in your salvation. Does anything about that verse sound like Jesus is interested in you just becoming, staying a baby? The goal is what? Grow up. Turn to your neighbor and say, grow up. Grow up. To do that requires what? Pure spiritual milk. Before you can eat food, meat, casseroles, stay on the milk for a while. All right? Get on the milk. Make sure you have that done. Hebrew 6 is speaking the Hebrew writer to Hebrew Christians. And this is what he says. It's time to mature. And he says this, therefore, in chapter 6, verse 1, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and let's be taken forward to maturity. But guess what? We can't do that until we have the elementary teachings. We want to move on. But let's make sure we have the foundations in place in order to move on. So here is my challenge to you. I challenge you today to make a decision to renew your personal faith in a 10-week study. If you are a young believer, new believer, young believer, or a 10-year-old believer who simply recognizes, possibly I don't have those basic foundations laid in my life. I'm shocked at the people who are 20 years in the Lord and older who have gone through this on a one-on-one basis for 10 weeks and came out and went, I challenge you to consider whether or not you need those basics laid down. I also challenge you to consider if you say, look, pastor, I'm confident. I have those foundation stones. I've got the foundation there. Then I challenge you to prayerfully consider being a disciple maker. You say, I don't know, I don't know how to do that. We'll show you. We'll train you as one of the disciples that will walk others through this 10-week ten week program of first steps. And all I'm asking from a commitment is if you're interested in becoming a disciple maker, all I'm asking for is you commit to one person for 10 weeks a year. That's it. You say, I'm willing to be trained and to... Take a one-on-one relationship with someone for one year. Men on men, women on women. And you say, well, what's going on right now with that? 
Our problem is, we've been doing this for two years, we just have too few disciples. We have about a dozen people. And we have people waiting in line to be disciples and not enough disciplers. So, would you consider that? My goal, and I know you might think this is incredibly lofty, my goal is that this year, that A, we will train 100 disciples. 100 people that are trained as disciples. It is also my goal that we will have 100 new or renewed believers discipled through first steps. That's my goal for 2018. So, you might say, well, what do I do? How do I act on that challenge? Let me explain. Help me out. There should be one more slide there. Can someone help me? Thank you. One more slide. And all of a sudden, my remote decided to die. Okay, they'll help me out. Here's what I want you to do. Yeah, thank you. Hallelujah. That's the last slide. (laughs) Sitting on your seat or in the seat back in front of you, the cards that we use for first-time guests, on the opposite side, which is the gray side, it says Connect Card. This is designed for a response. So there's a little box down there that says, register me for. Here's what I'd like to invite you to do. Consider this. If you feel the need to be discipled, you say, you know, whether I'm a week old or a year old or a few years old, I'm not sure that I have those discipleship foundations in my life. And you would like to be, if you'll simply check, register me for, and write the word disciple. You want to be discipled. So just write the word disciple right there. All right? If you're here and you say, well, I've been discipled. I feel pretty confident in my foundations, but I'm willing to be trained to take on one person for 10 weeks in a year. I'm willing to do that. That's, that's, that's something I can agree to. Then simply write in here, register me for training. Just write the word training. All right, one other option. If you, are, if you are a solid, mature Christian, you've been around for a long while, you know you're established. We're, we've designed a fast start training program for you. It will only take two weeks for you to be trained in the fast start program so that you can make disciples using this method. All right? So if you feel like, you know, Pastor, I've been around, I, I don't feel the need to, to go through even the 10 weeks of training. I'm willing to do the fast start. I think I would qualify for that. Just write in that blank there, fast start. Fast start. Now, it's not going to do you any good to turn this in today if you don't fill out your name and contact information, all right? <laughs> not going to do me at all. I'm going to go, oh, wow, that's impressive. Who is this? Simply, if, if you're responding today to any of those three options, Fill out your contact information above on the Connect card. When you leave today, take this card, simply fold it. There's going to be buckets being held for you by the ushers as you leave today. As you leave this room, you'll see big buckets. You cannot miss them. Simply take that card, drop it in the bucket. We will then follow up with you appropriately with whatever you opt and choose to do. If you want to do that, we'll follow up with you. Everybody understand there's no pressure, but an opportunity, a challenge, and hopefully it's a clear call to action.
May I close this way this morning? Maybe we, some of us here today, today feel the Holy Spirit has said, you know, you have focused on just wearing the badge of Christian. Maybe it's just the cross around your neck. And maybe the Holy Spirit today is calling you. Are you all in? Are you all in to be my devoted disciple? And maybe God is speaking to you this morning about going in farther for Jesus. Would you join me in prayer? Please stand to your feet. I'm going to ask that our prayer teams would come forward at this time. Let me pray for you. Father God, I pray for every individual in this room right now that you would take us where we're at. This is a journey. There's a beginning and there's a finality to it that ends in glory. Lord, today, forgive us for diluting that radical call that Jesus issued. Forgive us for treating this as the great option, not the Great Commission. Today, Lord, we commit ourselves as a local church that we will not answer to you as a church that fails to make disciples. So, Lord, we commit ourselves to that. We ask that your grace and your peace would fill us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Ari is going to come. He's going to bless you today, and upon that, you'll be dismissed. All right? Hallelujah. Know that that you are blessed and that you're able. The call to make disciples is for all of us. And so I just want to encourage you. There uh, There is no pressure, and there is training. But also, it's the Holy Spirit that has equipped each and every one of us. We are not alone in this quest to make disciples. It is He is the one who changes and transforms, equips. So I just encourage you, know that you are blessed. Know that you are equipped. Know that you are anointed and you are appointed. You are chosen and you are sent to go into the world and to make disciples. Be blessed. Be blessed in what you're doing. Be blessed in your occupation. Be blessed in your families. May everything that you put your hands to do prosper and multiply in greater measure. You are dismissed.